Um, yeah, I do think that all birdhouses should be armed with burglar alarms, just in case of squirrels. <laughs> You're so pro-bird. Yeah, I, they need the protection. The squirrels are crafty. They'll take uh, their food. Wouldn't those alarms go off constantly because squirrels are just known for running around everywhere? That's a good point. I wonder if there's like a spectrum of hearing that only squirrels can hear that could be very annoying to them. Oh, mm. there is that for moles, supposedly. Just a mole frequency? There's AM, there's FM, and there's mole M. <laughs> M, M, M. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's actually like pseudoscience or true, but I worked in landscaping for one summer, and the guy had a real mole problem for some of his clients. So uh, some of the clients would have sonic, like, uh, they were almost like sticks, like, yeah, embedded in the dirt. And I think the the landscape I worked for said he wasn't sure they were actually effective because he just used traps, which would just... I don't know if you've seen a mole trap, but they're pretty brutal. They uh, once oh, a God. mole tunnels through them, it just clamps down on them with like barbs and like holds them in there. Oh my wow. God, it's pretty brutal. So but it's like the an Iron Maiden from I mean, that's pretty metal. Yeah. yeah um, I, I got a question. Did he sell these mole alarms? <laughs> <laughs> no, he was actually I think more skeptical of them than the clients were. Mm. He, they probably got him from like Home Depot or something. Yeah, they want to believe that they can yeah. scare away the moles with a sound that they don't have to hear rather than dealing <laughs> with the truth of these moles being crushed by an Iron Maiden. <laughs> I am just imagining like a mole dance party underground. Like it works, but like it works kind of too well. And now there's like a whole culture of moles who like love this music. <laughs> I'm so glad we're doing this uh, banter before the birds episode. Yeah. <laughs> well, we always warm up with a discussion about why moles are great, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. The reason I was talking about moles, too, is because I just signed up for the Root Winter Tournament. And, oh, that's right. Yeah, and it makes you, the fill-out form, or the form that you have to fill out uh, asks you what your favorite faction is. Yeah, you must declare it. Yeah, there's no option to be like, uh, I'm a diverse thinker. Or there's no option for, like, can I do multiple? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I'm a pan-faction enthusiast. Yeah, as am I. Jake's like, my favorite faction is the one that Sam and Kyle are underrating right now. Correct. <laughs> Who are they bad-mouthing? I'll play them. <laughs> now, I don't want to, like, lead with a complaint because I'm very excited about the Root Tournament, and I'm very excited about the signups, and great job to everyone who will put that together, namely Garrick Samples. Uh, yep. But g- give me a... Give me a other, or I guess other would imply there's another faction to like. Uh, give me <laughs> the denizens at large. I'm like a, I'm just a fan of the woodland in general. <laughs> yeah, I like tried the NPC faction. Like that's pretty fun. That's pretty. You don't even have to do anything. They, they're just around. <laughs> you get to have some really interesting conversations at a shop. <laughs> I am a rabbit clearing. <laughs> I would say, Jake, if you. Uh, want to pull out like a wild card in the winter tournament, play a Corvids game. Because I think oh, you're actually yeah. like really good at the Corvids, but no one knows that. And so if you play the Corvids, you could totally get away with something like just being like, oh, you know, I, I had the choice and I just went with them. I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> and then everyone's going to like underrate you at the beginning of that game and then you're just gonna be able to win it i mean that is double layers of deception considering that i host a root podcast yeah i was like he's not gonna get underrated (laughs) he's on the root podcast yeah we're all going out first round guys i hate to tell you it's double elimination and somehow (laughs) we're both going to be eliminated on the first game i don't know no one's gonna let you guys get away with anything look i know it's gonna come to me and i'm gonna have the choice between like 
a bunch of different factions and then I'm just going to go with the cats and just lose terribly and still I will not regret my choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like part of me is like, oh, should, if no one, if I'm playing a game and no one's won with like the badgers or the rats or the corvids yet, like, do I just play for history? You yes, you, pl- you you're going for an achievement, not right. to win the game, not right. to win the tournament, right? Yeah, I do think that whoever gets the first um, badgers and or Lord of Hundreds win in the tournament will be a legend, right? So yeah. we'll be known as or, the Lord of the Hundreds. And we're still Discord. waiting on the Corvids one, Kyle. Don't forget. That's true. That's true. <laughs> still waiting for a Crows win in the tournament. It's coming. I can feel it in my bones. Hey friends, Jake here. Just a little bit of an update. After we recorded this podcast, the tournament did actually start, and the first win was the Corvids. So (laughs) Kyle's bones were correct. Additionally, Kyle himself actually played his first game, and he had the option to take Cats and chose not to. So if you want to find out all the twists and turns of the Winter Root Tournament, please check out Garrick Sample's YouTube channel, as well as his Twitch. Uh, VODs will go up on the Twitch first, and then usually a week after up on the YouTube. All right. Back to the show. Well, uh, speaking of organized play, uh, Sam, let's kick into root news with a little bit of. Oh wait, root news, root news, root news. That's right, folks. We do have some root news, and this isn't actually news. <laughs> we just haven't really <laughs> covered this on our podcast. We had people reach out to us. Thank you, Kaz, for uh, reaching out to me and like, why haven't you guys talked about the root digital league that's been going on for months? Um, and that's our bad. We just kind of dropped the ball on that. But uh, the Root Digital League is something that's being organized on the Woodland Warriors Discord, the classic leader games Discord, um, where you sign up and, and participate in these four-player games. It's got to be four-player. Um, and you do random factions. And basically, you submit the uh, results of the match through a Google form. And uh, as a result, it, like, coagulates the results and then your league placement <laughs> is the clearly i know a lot about this guys clearly i know a lot about coagulation coagulating numbers um <laughs> the google does its machine thing and uh then i don't know there's a root digital league i don't know how to end my <laughs> sentence here well yeah i feel like you you led with the technical aspects of this like the logistical aspects of this root league right whereas i i do think that Unlike the winter tournaments, the Root Digital League is ongoing and it's a bit dispersed or it's like a bit distributed, I guess, in that like you're playing pickup games with people that count are like rated games, basically, in this sort of long, uh, long standing tournament type format. I think it actually is really nice for Root Digital in particular uh, because it is possible to like play a pretty fast game of Root on Root Digital. And so finding a couple of other people to get together with, you know, it, it's, it seems a little bit more flexible, a little forgiving that way, which is great. Yeah. Uh, th- so originally, back in the spring, there was a Root Digital, like, tournament that was, yeah. um, you know, had like brackets and all that and sort of led to a finals, which was very exciting. This is more of like a regular season type setup. <laughs> so, right. you know, if you're like a soccer fan, this is like the regular season and then there's the big tournament at the end. At least that's my understanding, is we have different seasons of the Root League. Will the top-ranked people go into a tournament? Is that what we're saying? I, well, I, I'm actually not sure if it goes if it feeds into a tournament. I assume it will eventually. Oh. But uh, but yeah, it's if you perform well in the Root League, you get higher and higher ranks, and they have standings and all this stuff. It's actually really cool. 
Well, I'll put a link to the Woodland Warriors Discord for those of you that haven't found that space of the internet. There's a lot of fun root content there, obviously. Um, and there is, is it a pin in that channel? It's actually a pin in the Looking for Game channel. Great. Yeah, and just like how the rankings work is if you win the game, you get a point. If you lose the game, you don't get any points. And if you're one of those dirty people that does a coalition victory, then both the coalition players get a half a point. Um, and you're and if, exiled from the league. Right. <laughs> Three-way coalitions are banned. Don't know how they enforce that. I guess they just invalidate a game where that would happen. I'm not I, sure. I assume you have to submit a screenshot of the final result right. and they would be able to tell. But yeah, I think every time you win a game using a coalition, you see just like right before you fall asleep, you just notice that in the distance, there's like a coyote. <laughs> And every subsequent game that you win with a coalition victory, that coyote gets closer and closer. And it's like you just notice it like right before you fall asleep. You just can't win too many or else it's in the same room with you. And that's terrifying. Police arrested a New York musician and chess teacher today dressed as a coyote stalking a number of citizens. (laughs) He claims it was all part of a plot to discourage coalition wins. Please still don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> they should ban cooperation. <laughs> uh, last thing for Root News is that we did do a meeple stream. We ranked all the meeples, including the ones coming out in the Marauders expansion with all the hireling meeples and stuff. And so if you want to hear what three experts on the strategy of Root think about the cuteness of tiny wooden components... Uh, give that a watch because it is on the Good Time Society Twitch. Yeah, it's probably one of our more controversial episodes. You think? I'm just trying to make it like enticing to watch. Sam. Oh, I was yeah. really hoping. Yeah, no. To... Oh my gosh, the things that were said on that stream. <laughs> Friendships ended. Season two is getting dark, guys. I told you. <laughs> we lost somebody. <laughs> yeah, somebody dies on that stream. Oh my god! It was Cliff's first episode and his last. It was crazy. <sighs> Cliff was good. <laughs> He really balanced out the energy in this group. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did how did Cliff uh, go again? Coyote attack. Wow, that's really intense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gruesome. Okay. Where were you during that, Kyle? <laughs> yeah, Kyle. <laughs> Wait, he was on stream. We saw him. Yeah, it was they on camera the whole and he was, time. He was frozen, and he kind of looked like, oh, I don't yeah. know, a scarecrow, Kyle, like with buttons for eyes. <laughs> Yeah, he kept right. saying the hair. same phrases over and over again. <laughs> there was a tape recorder next to him that was just playing snoring sounds, but it's like he was supposed to be awake. <laughs> this is like an Agatha Christie novel. Who could have done it? Uh, okay, so that's our root news. Root news. This is going to be the second of our verses guides. I think Ooh. we should just dive straight into this thing. You know, it's it's really fun to learn like, how to play a faction. I think it's kind of a little more fun to learn how to take them down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so who are we talking about today, Sam? Today we are talking about the Eerie Dynasties. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're talking about the birds, the bluebirds. Um, go to our Meeple stream to see how we think about uh, what the Meeples look like. But the Eerie Dynasties... Uh, this is going to be a little different than our cats versus guide because I think as you listened to in that episode, there was a lot of like, well, hold on now. The cats aren't necessarily your enemies. This is a war game, but like, think about your priorities. And this one's going to have a little different tone. This one's definitely going to be a lot more about how do we kill them good. Shut them down. <laughs> yeah, I do think that 
it is important to learn how to really kneecap this faction. Mm-hmm. It's going to be crucial. You you are going to, in your journey with Root, you will lose games to the Eerie that will be frustrating because it's just like plainly written right in front of you how to destroy them and you just won't be able to do it. So we want to make sure that you never get to that point, that you can always take them down when you need to. The upside yeah. of this too, though, is because it's so clearly written out, every other player knows this fact too, that like there are a few ways to really shut them down and everybody's going to be talking about how to do that. Which, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get to it. But namely, that's turmoiling, right? And so that conversation's happening with lots of people, not just yeah. yourself. Yeah. The birds classically have pretty bad PR when it comes to uh, <laughs> a game of Root. So there's going to be some discussion at the table. There always is. Um, <laughs> this is one of those factions. Just to talk about it from like a high level point of view, like a 10,000 foot view. This is one of those factions that's a little bit like the Vagabond in that there sometimes can be this like prisoner's dilemma element to destroying the Eerie. Um, we'll, we'll get into this a little more with the kind of social game aspect later on, but just keep in mind that because they're the key to taking them out is so plain, it can sometimes be a game of kicking the can to a different player to <laughs> be forced to do the thing, mm-hmm. take out the trash and take out the eerie. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Let's start with the overview here. The eerie dynasties are the orderly former rulers of the forest. They plan carefully and publicly adding their intentions to their decree and turmoiling when they cannot complete one of their many actions. They're hard to initially grasp for a new player, but are one of the most common choices in competitive games. I went back and looked at the statistics on when a faction is chosen. Eerie's not the top choice. Like, for instance, the Vagabond was never not chosen. (laughs) Oh, Um, my God. was never left off the table, and the Eerie was occasionally, but still in the top three factions that people would choose um typically the goal when playing against the birds is to turmoil to turmoil to turmoil to turmoil (laughs) that's like a cheers that we do at like a root (laughs) gathering (laughs) to turmoil to turmoil i just assumed the professor was at the head of the class and he goes and of course and all the students like to turmoil Yeah, it's Mr. Root, sir. <laughs> oh my god, this is too real for me. I've literally been trying to teach the kindergartners how to say the word diagonal, and it's so cute. <laughs> diagonal. <laughs> what they like? I was just like, I'm like, what's the line that goes crisscross? And they're like, diagonal. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. That's great. <laughs> Teaching Root would be so hard for kindergartners. <laughs> yeah, I think that this game is not aimed for kindergartners, for sure. But even kindergartners could grasp the fact that there are two main <laughs> types of turmoil that we're looking for. Turmoiling on recruit and turmoiling them on build. Occasionally battle, but that's pretty situational. Yeah, almost never move, but I've seen it. Have you? Yeah, mostly it's an error. Like yeah, a player error. <laughs> I feel like it's got to be an error. But there are occasionally times where you can strategically place meeples to rule a particular clearing that connects somewhere. Like, you, you can kind of stick them there if they're not paying attention. But, yeah. yeah, almost never on move. Well, why couldn't it be that they destroyed the warriors that were in that clearing? Because presumably they're still recruiting in that space? Uh, it's because they usually can move into another clearing. They usually have multiple moves. So they right. usually can move into a clearing that you just took away from them. And then move out of that clearing. Right, because they can do those in any order. Yeah. 
yeah the moves at least yeah so of the four things to turmoil then you're you can do any four of them but recruit and build are probably arguably the easier ones is what you're saying yeah yeah these are the ones we're going to be looking out for okay for sure Mm -hmm. yeah the seeds of their downfall are written in recruit and build for sure (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah So we are going to be keeping an eagle eye on their decree, waiting for them to put a suited card into one of those actions. Then rallying the table to help you stop the snowball of birds. This is usually what you think about when when we imagine besting our feathered foes. But what happens when they can't be easily turmoiled, right? What if they have a bunch of bird cards in all these things? Can anything be done against a no turmoil God of War charismatic opening? Ah! <laughs> Find out more on this week's episode of Woodland War Machine. There, I got your tag, Jake. Oh, uh, I'll start the title sequence 20 minutes in. So in this guide, we hope to cover the best strategies of dealing with uh, all the eerie plays and learning when and where to hurt the birds when it comes to that. In the cat's guide, I said if it comes to that. And with birds, it's more of a when. You have oh, to it's always going to be a problem. Yeah. It's always going to be a problem. Even if you nail them early. Right. Not necessarily the end. In that spirit, then, is this an always situation? Like, should we always be looking to turmoil them? Like, I know that you said there's a bit of a prisoner's dilemma in terms of, like, when we should be shifting power at the table and such. But, like, if birds are way far behind and everybody else is zooming ahead, we want them alive so they can go rampage the point leader, right? I I think it's pretty uncommon to see the birds behind in points in a significant way without having already turmoiled. Okay, great. I uh, that would just be someone ignoring build for multiple turns, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which can happen with a charismatic opening if they get bad card draw. Yeah. But it's pretty unusual. I, I mean, yeah, there are situations where you want the Eerie to be a little beefy to absorb some of that space, especially if there's a really strong cats faction going on or a strong moles faction. Like, you want you want the Eerie to be interactive in some way so that you're not just gifting the game to the other army faction yeah if you're not one of the army factions you're trying to promote the collision of those two forces (laughs) because they can knock each other down and then leave space for the insurgents to win um but the eerie in general is going to want to snowball and be unstoppable it's it's pretty much always going to happen i think i've only seen a couple of games where the eerie was well and truly knocked out of contention yeah it's it's something that you know on the checklist of this game like at some point we're going to have to turmoil the birds put it in your planner yeah 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 it might be and you're just looking for the opportunity really you're waiting for them to put a suited card into one of those or decide like you know what it looks like they're not going to turmoil so we're gonna have to deal with them another way but to answer your question more specifically jake if you see a moment early in a game to turmoil the eerie I feel like the default answer is just go ahead and do that. Yeah, because like what we talked about with the cats where you want to make your move in a way that's also advantageous to your engine in some way because it's kind of hard to waste actions 
disrupting other people with the birds it might be worth it because it's so disruptive to your opponent and so key to stopping their snowball that it might be worth going out of your way sometimes right I, I can think of one game that I played in, the semifinals game of the SCPT tournament when I played with Lily, where Lily kept me from turmoiling. Uh, she put a lizard into a clearing so I could battle it so that I wouldn't go into turmoil. Or maybe she gave me some birds back or something. I just remember being like, wow, that was She's so sweet. a little too nice. You know, mm-hmm. like I wouldn't have done that probably. And then she was right. I mean, I got 29 points. It was quite the risk to take. But Lily won that game because I was still involved. Because you, know? you kept moving around and disrupting her opponents. And, and disrupting other people. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, I mean, there is a calculus there, but that is a very risky thing to do, to see an opportunity to yeah. turmoil them and to not take it. I think is more risky than that. I mean, we as we've talked about a bajillion times in this episode, so many of these things are situational, right? Yeah. Uh, but in general, what you're saying, Kyle, is it's it's worth it to go there to go turmoil them. That's the thing to look out for at all mm-hmm. times. You just got to be aware that if, if the Eerie is making a play that leaves their decree vulnerable in that type of way to being turmoiled, usually that's connected to a rather greedy type of strategy or kind of desperado style attack mm-hmm. and if that desperado style attack is in your favor to support then i guess maybe you'd want to leave it and like <laughs> allow your opponents to take the effort of turmoiling the eerie then but i, I don't know this might be the last opportunity you get. Right. Because so, sometimes the Eerie can snowball too hard. Yeah. That greed can lead to fortune, like, if they yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so sure. I'd say you gotta, you're got you playing with fire if you're yeah. uh, taking an opportunity and passing it by. All right, well, let's get to this a week's threat level. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> emergency, emergency. <laughs> Decontamination in five, four, three, two. And this one, last time we had the cats at a threat level green. All right? So that was not a big deal. This one I'm going to say is an orange and possibly even a red threat level. Uh, The bird's threat level is pretty dependent on their opening, which is why I have these kind of two colors, as some leaders have a higher chance of snowballing out of control. My my thinking here is what we talked about in our bird's guide, the God of War opening. This is the charismatic, no turmoil strategy where you are recruiting a bunch of birds, but then you're also putting a bunch of cards into battle so that you can have enough battles to get those birds back in your supply so you don't turmoil on recruit because you don't have any warriors. Um, yeah, you need a lot of churn to keep that engine turning. Right, but what that does is create a situation where you are checking all the other players a lot with your action. You have so many battle actions to do that. This is a strategy that depends on having a lot of bird cards, though. So, yeah, the God of War, the charismatic opening in general, I would say should be read as like a, a red threat level. Yeah. When when you see a despot opener from the birds, what's your assessment of that threat level? Uh, it's single build or double build? Single build. Uh, Standard, standard despot. Quiet despot opening. Yeah, I'd say it's an orange. I think it's like this. All the things that we said still apply. Like, we have to turmoil them. We're looking for it. But I'm not as concerned that they're going to, like, be able to oppress everyone else 
as much and therefore the game will probably find a balance whereas i've seen god of war games go where it's like all three of us are trying to do something and we can't you know okay what what about a commander opening that seems pretty aggressive is that a red threat level nah it's probably yellow it's just a <laughs> it's just not a good opening commander you're going to be losing too many warriors and you're going to have to be putting a bunch of cards in recruit and you can only put one bird card there per turn. So then are you putting suited cards in recruit? I just feel like it's more vulnerable. I've, I've done it yeah. a lot. I've experimented a lot with commander openings and it's really tricky. Yeah, I agree. It can be a bit of a paper tiger. Yeah. Uh, just, it, it's a lot of bluster really early without <laughs> too much force to back it up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also no build right away can be challenging. Yeah. Just like you, you're short you on roofs, you're short card. on meeples. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Uh, okay, what about a builder opening? Yeah, e yellow, probably. I mean, it, it depends. If that builder starts in a rabbit clearing and then moves to another rabbit clearing and it looks like they're going to craft coins or something, maybe I'd bump it up to an orange. But the builder's power is just that it doesn't have, you know, disdain for trade, which isn't that big of a deal for yeah, me. Yeah, they become a regular faction for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good job. Kind of. Um, yeah, I'm just not a big fan of a builder opening, so I'm not, I'm not too worried. Again, all those things still apply. We have to break them. Their engine is good enough, but. Is it fair to say that if someone did builder opening, it goes down to green? Cause you can be like, does this person know what they're doing? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Yeah. If you're just <laughs> sat with some random person and you're trying to assess their level of root, I don't know. <laughs> Not to be harsh on all you builder openers out there, but please do write into the show. We're eager to hear what kind of a person you are. <laughs> yeah, like, what What do you even eat, bro? <laughs> Paper? <laughs> Wood chips? Can't figure out how to get the wrappers off food, so I just eat it all. All right, so... If... Hold on, hold on. I I just want to, like, recap really quick. You're Builder's telling me... good. <laughs> it makes me equal to all other factions. <laughs> Builder Jim, you're invited to all of our root games. Oh, Builder Jim, <laughs> I hate that you joined in season two, though. Builder Jim, I'm Why? a little worried. <laughs> Is something gonna happen? I don't know. We'll see. All right. Have I told uh, you I have fragile bones? <laughs> all right. If the birds are left unchecked, all right, when playing well, they will be able to score the points necessary to win and at the same time have enough actions to keep the rest of the table down. This is why the birds are such a high threat level, okay? A late game commander can also be hard to deal with, and a despot with a bunch of cardboard on the board can be as effective as any faction in route. So that's why we have such a high threat level, because at least three of these four leaders, powers, I'm can really, really change the game. Yeah, 100%. I mean... Really, I, I do think we should discuss all of the openings, at least a little bit. Yeah. But to be fully transparent, there are two bird openings that are going to give you trouble. And that is the God of War or charismatic opening kind of more generally. That tree, that opening tree is mm -hmm. going to give you problems. And uh, the Despot's going to give you problems too because of its extra point scoring off a of cardboard ability. Yeah. And early builds. So... When we talk about the birds being a threat, I think that should be in your mind's eye. Later on, we'll kind of discuss those side elements of like a random builder opening and like what you can do to just make sure that it never becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, but for now, let's kind of 
act as if it's one of those two kind of more traditionally competitive openings. I will, I, I, I stand double build. I think it's an actually competitive, effective opening. I think it's less common because it it is a little chancy. But I, I watched a Garrick stream the other day where he did double build. He's like, I haven't done this in forever because he'd just been doing God of War for so many games. But then he was like, oh, I forget. I get two cards turn one. Yeah. You know, and it's like there's like some things that like the birds tend to struggle with that double build solves. But I think it really depends on the faction mashup at the table. Um, so the goal there is to actually put a bunch of suited cards in there, knowing that you're going to turmoil, but just yeah. getting a bunch of roosts down so that that turmoil is less painful. And we'll talk about how to deal with that, too, <laughs> from the other perspective. All right. But let's kind of take a look at the bird's engine mm-hmm. uh, with a bit of a critical eye here and just determine, like, where are those weak points in uh, the, the engine of the birds? Yeah. But what do they what do they need to succeed, Sam? Well, they they need the uh, first thing they need is birds need a place to build a roost each turn. And uh, how the roosts work is that has to be in a different clearing than where a roost's been built before. So they are seeking out new clearings each turn to put a building down in there, which means they've got to rule that. Now they have the nice uh, ability where they rule in ties, the lords of the forest. So that's, they have the toolkit to be able to do this, but they are going to be seeking out new territory each turn. Yeah, expanding. That's the mm-hmm. kind of theme behind the birds from a like gameplay perspective is like you constantly are trying to kind of expand and push into new areas. Mm-hmm. So to prevent them from getting that, like what do you do? Do you just fill up all the building slots? I don't think it's as easy as that, right? We talked about with the cats, they need to build in building slots. And we talked about one of the best ways you can do that is just put a building there already because the cats are going to have to move and then they're going to have to battle. And that's two thirds of their turn already. And if they didn't do it on the first battle, then they've got to battle again and they might not even get to build there this turn, right? The birds, because of their decree, they could have multiple cards in battle. They could be really good at moving in, clearing out the clearing of the junk they need and then plopping their roost down there. So... I think you need to assess early on which clearings that the birds player might be aiming for. Okay. Mm. It's done easier when you see a suited card in build, but we know that's pretty uncommon. So I think it's going to take a little bit of careful forethought to predict where the next builds might be. And you could kind of section off a little bit. If you can build up some walls, uh, some impassable parts of maps to deny them certain build spots yeah i think in in this instance it is useful to look at the map and and check out some of those choke points mm-hmm. uh, because if you can stack warriors in a choke point and just make it very difficult to pass through you can actually deny whole sections of the map like multiple clearings i i will say that one kind of easy way to deny building to the birds is if you can deny them rule obviously lords of the forest is such a strong ability mm-hmm. But that is all based on the warrior count. So if you can kind of uh, chip away at their warrior count, that can actually make them spread themselves pretty thin early on and can make their engine unsustainable. Yeah, I was going to ask about this because certain factions are obviously way better at this than others. Like lizards are going to take up a whole lot of room in clearings, right? Whereas the corvids can't really contend in any meaningful way with rule in that way. But like that's just as good as taking up the slots, arguably 
better. Even though, like you said, Lords of the Forest, they break ties and stuff, and they're really good at having a lot of uh, warriors in the field. This feels like uh, the best way, rather than just taking up clearings if you can't. Yeah. Really, rather than taking up building slots if you can't. Right, yeah. I think it's difficult, um, but this strategy, I think isn't necessarily like the best way to turmoil the birds, right? Yeah, this is a bit more indirect for sure. It's about trying to strategically deny them good areas to build up in. Because here's what I'll say. If you like allow the birds to take all the central clearings and just set up roosts for free, then they can easily access whatever other section of the map they need to Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. pretty well. I mean, maybe the lake map is the only exception to this, but really it is about trying to kind of push them out to the sides and make sure that they are, you know, not getting the juicy clearings for nothing. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, w- once they have access to the rest of the board, then turmoiling them on build gets increasingly difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and like I said, this isn't, yeah, the goal with this strategy, you, you said, Kyle, it's like this indirect thing. It's really, we talked about this in the Cat's Guide, trying to make them use more actions. If you can deny them, parts and like build up a bunch of warriors they'll probably still be able to get the warriors necessary to get there and build but what they're doing there is giving up a lot of other positions whether they are having to add cards to recruit or move or battle that they wouldn't have wanted to do because you've made it harder for them or they're moving warriors that were protecting roosts or uh, you know keeping a building spot safe just in case this battle goes wrong or something they're not able to be as safe they have to take more risks and that's what we want 100% it's like any faction you need to apply some pressure mm-hmm. or else they'll be so comfortable that they can just kind of grow uninhibited when it comes to build i think you just have to have those glasses on that are like, what does the Eerie want this turn? Where are they going to build? And how can I make that just a little tougher for them? How, how can I make it so that they have to like either group up a bunch of warriors and then leave some stuff a little under defended or, ha- you know, add a couple extra moves in order to get around this heavy clearing? Yeah, tr- trying to just have those glasses on to see what ways you can just lean on their engine and try and hold it down. Uh, I think like, honestly, what's weird, we're talking about like putting warriors there, but... I think one of the most effective factions at steering the birds in a direction is the Woodland Alliance. The Woodland Alliance, by placing sympathy in a clearing adjacent to the to the Eerie, the birds don't want to give up a card just to move in there. Uh, maybe if a despot's trying to score some extra cardboard points, they have an interesting relationship, but I think a lot of times the Eerie's like, I don't want to get you online. They're trying to deny the Woodland Alliance the extra supporters, so they move in a different direction it's such a catch-22 for them because then it's also a free battle if they're starved for opponents <sighs> nearby right like i remember the first time i think one of the first times i played alliance i built really close to the birds and i felt picked on the whole time but it was exactly also what i needed because i kept getting outrage yeah. all the time but i just wasn't getting the right outrage cards to get started unfortunately that was just bad card draw mm-hmm. but like it was such a catch 22 for them because they were losing all of their uh, card momentum as well, as well as like they were only scoring maybe one point off me as opposed to multiple off the cats. Right. Maybe the last thing to keep in mind here for the roost is that the critical number of roosts for the Eerie to have is three because that's when they get their extra card draw online. The Eerie being able to draw two cards a turn is really the kind of main fuel for the decree. 
Uh, so any chance that you get to knock their roosts under that magic number of three, which is not a lot. Like, truly, they get online super fast. That's one of the reasons why they're such a good faction. But if you can knock them under three roosts, that is an awesome way to really, really slow their, their engine down. Yeah. Kyle, since your new phrase is board vision, <laughs> I was wondering if you could tell us, like, when we're trying to predict what clearings the Eerie are going in, I know it's so dependent on the maps and the other factions and stuff, but is there like a number of roost? Like, is it the fourth roost or whatever that you're trying to make difficult for them? I know three is like the, the good number for that, but it just feels like they're going to be able to build three. They're going to get three. They're probably going to get four. Yeah. It depends on the faction mix, but almost definitely they're going to get four. I would say if, if they build a fifth roost with no resistance, you're in trouble. Yeah. I, I think you have to I think you have to force the Eerie to pick uh, somewhere awkward to build the fourth roost. Mm-hmm. Either they have to stretch a little further than they want to, or they have to like leave their back line a little vulnerable to massive warriors to get that fourth one. Just like four and five are really where the play happens. Uh, and anytime that I see the Eerie get that fifth roost, no contest, I'm like, oh boy, this is about to get super challenging. Like, yeah. They're going to have that six. They're going to be drawn three. <laughs> like, you know, life life can become extremely difficult. So, like, what is that? Turn four? Yeah. Turn four, you better be looking for ways to chip away at their engine. Yeah. So, so seeing, like, all right, you can have that one, that one, and that one. Or I guess, no, you can have that one and that one. But the next time you have to build, I'm going to make it difficult for you. <laughs> yeah. And I would say just, like, notice what type of expansion the eerie is going for in terms of roosts there are some players who like to take an aggressive kind of forward roost early in the game and then kind of backfill right just sort of establishing that um do not cross line and then you know filling up the clearings that got left behind uh and then there's some players who like to expand just like adjacent and just have that slow build outward Whichever type of ear you're dealing with has to impact your your kind of board vision. It can be really difficult to like stop a backfilling earring if they've already like got their lines solidified. But if they're just growing slowly, force them to grow in a terrible direction. Make <laughs> them have to really work for it. <laughs> All right, let's talk about another bird need. All right. And this one's a little specific, but this one is key. And the birds need warriors to recruit. They need yeah, warriors in their supply. Otherwise, they're going to turmoil on recruit. Which is like, oh, wow, what a luxurious reason to recruit, right? It's just <laughs> like, oh, no, I have too many warriors on the field. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it is uh, gold problems, right? Yeah. <laughs> and But it is a problem, though, because yeah. resetting the decree is the ultimate punishment, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> and this is kind of the the real balancing act of the charismatic opening. I'm not talking about exploding birds where you put two in there and recruit 12 or whatever it is. <laughs> I forget. <laughs> recruit six. Yeah, you recruit six on turn one and then you turmoil. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people that are recruiting a lot of birds every turn. And then uh, here's what you should do. If you are listening to this episode before the tournament, you should take out all of your warriors from the little eerie meeple thing that stores your warriors. And you should organize them so that you know how many warriors you have left. Because mm, there's nothing worse than, advice. like, looking at the thing and then realizing on your turn you don't have the warriors. That's brutal. 
I'm going to say alternately, if you are playing as the Eerie in the tournament, maybe keep them in the bag because other players will get ideas about how to destroy your engine if they see that you're only down to two birds or whatever. That's true. Maybe they yeah. won't choose to initiate a battle somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, so what we'd advise if you're playing Eerie in the tournament is to take the meeples out of the bag and put them back in yeah. the bag at random times. Don't let anyone have a free pass at your information. Keep them, keep them on their toes. Yeah. Hey, this episode uh, is about hurting the birds. What are you guys doing giving advice for a bird? Well, bird? it's just so frustrating when it happens to you, you know? <laughs> it is annoying, yeah, especially when you're just like, all right, and then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to wait a minute. <laughs> oh, no. I'm too powerful! <laughs> I mean, here, truthfully, this is the less common reason for turmoiling and recruit. Right. Uh, is running out of, like, just running out of meeples to mm-hmm. recruit. This is a, a thing that can happen. And it is important to always kind of keep a tally in your mind about how many birds are on the map. If it's starting to look like there's a lot of birds on the map, maybe, like, scroll your TTS window over to their uh, player board and just, like, hover over that bag. Just take a look. Just take a look. See how many <laughs> they got left. If it's, like, two, then... I don't know. Maybe don't initiate that battle. Yeah. Like, let them let them feel the consequences. I feel like uh, we'll talk about this when we we get to cards, but like ambush, I feel like is like I'm always kind of saving it for an eerie <laughs> player, you know, and but you don't want to use that ambush if that's going to mean they get more warriors in the supply. Right. So just like knowing when the moment to actually don't touch them, because sometimes the birds can spin out on their own momentum. Mm-hmm. either through building too much or recruiting too much or whatever. So sometimes that hands-off approach will be necessary, but the, like like we said, those are the rarer times. Yeah, it, it really makes me think of that thing where, like, someone, like, goes to throw a punch at you and you just, like, step out of the way and that that swing <laughs> throws them off balance and then they fall over. That, that's what you want to wait for that moment, for the eerie. Uh, another, like telltale sign that this could be coming is if they are doing the god of war or the charismatic opening whatever you want to call it and they on all their battles they keep rolling zeros which means that their birds are not coming off the field right then if you can just like keep in mind like oh they are not getting those birds back like that could affect the rhythm a turn from now or whatever maybe you hold off on taking out their warriors but i will say the the most common turmoil and recruit is not from running out of meeples but rather from not having a place for those meeples to recruit to yes um and this is going to be the primary focus of your efforts to turmoil the eerie is anytime they have a suited card in recruit you're going to want to focus (laughs) very intently on those roofs that match that if it's foxes you got to look at all the fox clearings in the map and just be like Start plotting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... Turn to your neighbor and figure out a strategy for how to destroy them on foxes. When we talk about needing board vision, if they put a suited card in recruit, you don't need that board vision. They're telling you where they need to be. And yeah. you can deny them their, those points. Yeah. And we'll get into like all the ways to check the birds uh, when we get to our how to check section. <laughs> but one more need we've got here is that the birds need bird cards. For a safer decree. Um, And it's hard to deny cards. But it is something that can be done. Don't give them any bird cards, right? If you're the vagabond, we're not aiding them cards. And if we're the river folk, we're not letting them pay 
you know, sale prices for bird cards because they need them desperately. They'll pay. They'll pay three. They might pay four. If you're going against a no, no turmoil strategy, you might have to battle a roost every turn instead of waiting for the turmoil. Um, and the earlier you employ this, the better it works. Where we're like kind of, this is what you were talking about earlier, Kyle, where it's like we're denying them that card draw. And that happens at the third roost. Or if if it's desperate times, just don't let them draw three cards for, for the love of God. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, that, that we want to deny them those cards. And there's a couple cards you can craft. Kyle, you talked about using um, what is that crow plot? Oh, extortion. Yes. Yeah, like an early extortion, just to like cut into the Eerie's hand a bit. Uh, is one way to to just try and fish out some of those bird cards, just to kind of destabilize, like take the, you know, raging fire hose and just <laughs> make it into a normal garden hose uh, for the decree. <laughs> okay. Yes. No, I, I agree. They, they need bird cards in order to stabilize what they've got going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the goal of taking out the birds relies on making their decree as unstable as possible. So this is clearly working across purposes. Don't aid the birds. Don't bird. aid the birds. Come on. Come on. <laughs> you little vagabond. Sam when you say the earlier you employ the strategy the better what do you mean by that so if uh, in the strategy where either as a as a faction with a bunch of battle actions or as a table that's really uh entangled you are making sure to take out one roost every round you're basically offsetting their point generation right because they'll build a new roost each turn, and you'll take one away. So they don't gain more points. It doesn't exponentially grow. So the earlier you do that, the less points that they are getting every turn. And it mm. can affect the card draw as well. Though, I think keeping them below three is tends to be difficult, but it's happened to me. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it can be done. These happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, th- so there are definitely some military ways to take out the Eerie, and that's going to be like the prime focus most likely. But yeah. there's actually th- uh, like a, a few different strategies to employ. Let's talk about crafting for a second. Yeah. So I have this section in these versus guides of like what items might you want to deny that player based on like what their faction is good at crafting or whatever. But we're dealing with the Eerie dynasties who have a disdain for trade. They disdain it. And well, not if you play Builder. <laughs> That's true. Especially early. Oh, Builder Jim, thanks. Get for... it real established. <laughs> you know, you get two rabbits, you'd be a rich man. <laughs> That's true, Builder Jim. That's true. Though your card draw is probably going to be a little shaky, right? Oh, no, that's wretched. <laughs> so, <laughs> so getting those coins are going to be hard. Yeah. Okay. And, and then you also have to have enough cards to where you don't have to add those cards to your decree because you do have to add a card every turn, right, Builder Jim? Yeah, I feel you're really focusing on the negative while I was trying to, you know, focus on the positive. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> Although I am rich in coin, I'm poor in card. <laughs> uh, I, I love you as long as you're alive, Builder Jim. Oh, so- I hope it's a while now. <laughs> now. <laughs> uh, so... Basically, I couldn't come up with it for Eerie because Eerie is kind of the ultimate hate crafting faction. Like, I kind of always love it when Eerie crafts coins because they just get one point and now no one else gets three points from the coins, you know? <laughs> it seriously is like the kid who gets like a 
you know, like a full size Snickers bar for Halloween. And then it's just like, I don't even like Snickers, but I'm still going to eat it. And you're like, (laughs) yeah, I just got a bunch of those off brand Tootsie Rolls that are like fruit flavored. (laughs) I love those. (laughs) They're pretty good. They're pretty good. I like the vanilla ones. Okay. Um, So the faction, we have less to gain from denying them these item things. I couldn't come up with a strong reason of why you need to craft items before the Eerie. In fact, I would encourage you to let Eerie craft the items because overall that will mean less points for your opponents. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's seriously is like they made an item and then took it to the pawn store, (laughs) (laughs) the pawn shop, and got like a pittance for it. It's, it's really nice. Yeah, it definitely just denies points overall from the table, and I think that's actually good. I found a lot of things when it came to crafted improvements in the two decks here. Base deck a little less so. I'm just going to give a shout-out to favor cards, probably for the last time, unless it's significant, because I, I try to highlight cards here that have a significant interaction with the faction, and favor cards just blow everything up. Um, and yeah, of course, that could screw over the birds, but... Kind of just like not as much as it screws over the cats. Um, And so I just kind of feel like, yeah, favors are there, but I don't want to like put favor because obviously when you're playing against somebody blowing up four clearings is always a good idea. Um, (laughs) But I'm just not going to highlight this every episode, I don't think, unless there's a special interaction. Yeah, if they're recruiting in a particular suit and you craft that favor, like... That's just an instant turmoil. Like that's just good, right? Yeah. Um, I think in all in all strategy guides of every flavor, we can say favor. Good choice. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Will counter faction. Yeah, yeah. Strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very strong. Yeah. If can yeah. do. <laughs> that's why you listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. you know? For us to tell you that the most powerful card in the game is good. Yeah. <laughs> we should put this at the top of the strategy guide. <laughs> just like this is the bumper sticker for our show i was like favors are fine <laughs> yeah um one crafted improvement that i really like that you highlighted here sam is armorers yes because one thing the eerie player will will hunt for in their game is the certainty or near certainty that they will rule a clearing after they battle in it mm-hmm. that is going to be the crux of their calculation for most of the game is going to be looking at clearings and trying to figure out which can I go in and do a battle and still rule at the end. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll be thinking about like, is there an ambush that they could play to kind of, you know, mess with the numbers or whatever. Armorers is a card. uh, It's a, the effect is you ignore all rolled hits. If you are the defender, Uh, you you know, trigger it one time and then it's done. Mm -hmm. Armorers is kind of like this poker threat that you have against an eerie player who's trying to come into your space and take over a clearing. It it really forces them to commit a lot of forces if they want, if they really, really need to rule that clearing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's kind of the same thing as an ambush, right? Like you might deal three hits to them and they might deal zero to you. And that could totally change everything. So I feel like it's an improvement that people forget about, and I definitely underrate it a lot. Yeah, like it flies under the radar. Yeah, for and sure. and that's an asset to you because it'll fly under the bird radar as well, ideally. Like, am, am I saying, oh, cats, put your opening workshop in a fox so you can craft armorers? No, spend it as a bird card to get another action, <laughs> cats. Like yeah. every other faction, though, yeah. I'm like definitely craft it. Like, yeah. it's it's such a good way to make the eerie sweat. And potentially have to add, like, another card to battle, for example, to, like, get through a clearing, which then later on could be a source of weakness. 
Yeah, we'll see there's like a theme with these things, which is like throwing off the battle math. Like that is what you want to do against the Eerie is is this like they think they got it. And let's just talk about the next card, Ambush, which obviously Ambush is good against a lot of factions. But I do think it is specifically good against the Eerie because of them having to bring enough warriors to recalculate the math. Wait, 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 wait. So for crafted effects for base deck, you're saying that favors and ambushes are are good. Are good? Yeah, okay. Yeah, but I agree. I, I'm saying favors are just generally good, and I just kind of wanted to mention that I'm not going to mention it in every guide. But ambushes, I feel like, have a special relationship with the Eerie Dynasties, whereas they, I actually they totally don't agree. with the cats. You know what I mean? I agree. Yeah. In a tournament setting, oftentimes on the first turn uh i will bring up to five warriors into a clearing yeah i've seen you do it just to be like a hundred percent certain that i'm gonna be alive at the end of it <laughs> and still rule that clearing and not just insta turmoil on my first turn due to an ambush yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it i yeah i you got me on that because how many times have you seen somebody walk in with two bird warriors into a clearing that they're going to battle with and i'm like what are you doing? You are just them having a card from like your game being over, you know. This happened recently in a, a root digital game that I played in. Same. Um on the winter map, uh there was, you know, those choke points in the north and in the south and uh the Eerie tried to break through in the north, but they only had two bird two extra birds to send through on a double build type strategy. And they got one clearing, but they got ambushed on the second, yeah. and it was just over. Like, yeah. their whole decree was just done after that. It really does swing the game when it comes to the, the bird's battle math. I think yeah. I bragged about this in a previous episode, but I was playing as Alliance and had a lone sympathy in a clearing where they had a roost and one warrior. And they battled, thinking, oh, I'll just clean this up. And then I ambushed them and took out their roots. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to get points on someone else's turn. Oh, that my gosh. Good. So nice. <laughs> it's pretty great. That's pretty great. Uh, that's all the ones I could highlight from the base deck. You know, there was, like, sappers also could throw off the battle math. And I'm like, just not enough. Eh. It's not worth mentioning. The one that I like in, in base deck is maybe... Uh, stand and deliver, I think, is pretty effective against the birds. I mean, you are giving them points, but if you can funnel their decree into a totally untenable place, or make it so that their decree is growing way too slowly to, like, really do anything, granted, that tends to be a late-game craft, so usually not going to be the biggest deal in the world, but uh, could be actually really effective right after a turmoil in just making sure that they never catch back up. Yeah. Even though you're giving them a point or whatever, like just tr trying to stem the tide of their resurgence. I think you're right. I think stand and deliver is a good shout. I just never see it crafted. You know, it's hard for me to Pretty recommend. Rare. But I do think you're right that the effect is exactly the kind of thing we're talking about of thinning the bird's hand to make them make riskier plays. So yeah, that's a good shout. All right, on the exiles and partisans sides of things, the first card that jumped out to me was Coffin Makers. Of course, it's a great card. That seems like a good card. Oh, interesting. But it's definitely a good card when you're playing against a faction that must battle every turn, right? This card is good for two reasons. It's good because it allows you to hitch your wagon to the decree, and 
if the decree is getting a little too good, it allows you to just help to take it on out. Um, this actually does depend a little bit on turn order. Um, for example, if you are going... Well, I, I mean, in the eventual run of things, it won't matter too much. But if you go right after the birds, that's actually a little bit better because then they have like the whole round of other people battling their stuff uh, before their recruit to not have those warriors to recruit with. So it works great as a denial strategy for warriors so that they turmoil and recruit and as a way to profit from their uh, relentless aggression. Yeah, it seems like it's going to be easier to lock up those warriors than it is, though. I think you you laid out the po- the the situation where it works. Yeah, so if you go right after the Eerie, that's like the best right. turn order situation for that. Right, yeah, definitely. Whereas if you go right before them, then it's not really anything. I mean, they just almost, yeah, they'll just have it back right in time to recruit. Right. But they'll also have less, yeah, never mind. Okay. Yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> it's Keep thinking tricky. of it backwards. I remember, yeah, we we messed it up in the last game we played where we're like, oh, yeah, and then they won't have anything. And then it like got to the coffin maker's person's turn. And they gave them all back. And we're like, oh, wait. I think it was against the warlord. But we were like, oh, wait, no, they yeah. got them all back when they needed them. Yeah. Um. All right. So the next one I've got is false orders. This is probably going to be one that we mention every time, too. Um, but this is just great when we're talking about having to get through some defended roosts. Now, usually roosts aren't the most stacked defended buildings, but this can be really helpful if they, you know, if they have to recruit in a fox and they only got one and they're really stacking it up, you can move half of their warriors out of that clearing, um, move them into somebody else's way so that you can get those roosts. Yeah, this is just a good a good way to like um, diminish the forces or like diminish a bird ball as well. Mm-hmm. In some commander follow ups uh, after an initial turmoil, you kind of can get the situation where they've recruited a bunch on their first leader, and now they're just wrecking shop, like zooming around with their like bird ball of you know ten warriors and killing everything. This is a good way to kind of disperse that and make it a little more manageable. Um, and then early in the game, this actually can be a way to, you know, take those advancing birds when they still have a limited amount of movement and just push them back and make it so that they have to make some hard choices about where they are going to move their birds. And yeah, just like a little ways to apply pressure. Well, that's interesting, Kyle. I didn't think about taking their like forward moving bird ball and just like putting it back a turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, in a really, really tight, eerie setup... Every single move is is important. And especially early in the game when you're trying to get out on the map, losing a move might mean that you have to take one of those cards that was destined for battle or for recruit and adding it back into move, which really sucks. Yeah, I, I think th- I think about that all the time. Just like putting pressure on those cards is so important because there always is a time as the birds player where you're like, ugh, I don't want to have to put this in move, but I'm going to. And yeah, like that's those not are the a big moments deal. you're looking for. Yeah, that's not like a big deal. Like you're not going to turmoil on move, but you wanted to use it somewhere else, or you wanted to craft it. That always comes up to me. I'm like, oh, I wanted to use this card for its ability, not put it in. Decree. This feels like an underlying theme, though. Is that like, what about in those situations we talked about at the beginning of this episode, where you know you're not going to always be able to turmoil them? Well, the alternative to that is put pressure on them to like make their decree wobble right like force them to put cards in that would 
make them hang on to the decree as, as uh, precariously as they can. Yeah. Make them choose to survive by adding a less than optimal card. Yeah. Because as soon as they are in that place, they're going to have to start doing that, that like Jenga tower thing where they're like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm over here, but I'm also over here. And, <laughs> and false orders and false orders like is a good way to do that. It's one of the few ways to also really disrupt movement. Yeah. Yeah. It could also be a way to if the problem is that they have a, a really sturdy commander and just too many warriors, you could send those warriors into like a meat grinder of one of your opponents as well, like into like a mall stack or something where you like, you know, they're just going to like chew them up. Just yeah, try and find ways to like diminish the concentration of forces. Move them into some sympathy. Get a card out of their hand. There we go. That's what we want to hear. One. Sympathy. <laughs> yeah. I've got sympathy for sympathy. I've got sympathy for sympathy. <laughs> All right, uh, the next card I got here are the Partisan cards. I think these are a little bit more situational, but uh, you always can surprise an Eerie player and throw off the math a bit to hopefully do that. Same thing we were talking about with Ambush and Armorers of just like, I'm going to deal an extra hit. And they're like, wait, what? Because a lot of times Eerie can come into a clearing with equal warriors or one greater warrior, battle... And even if it's a tie, they're going to still have the most or tied for the most, which they rule with Lords of the Forest, right? So if you don't disrupt the math, it's pretty easy. But with Partisans, you can deal more hits than the attacker if they roll a tie. Jake, you always like to point this out. The numbers in Root are really small. Mm -hmm. So it may sound like one extra hit is kind of dinky. And on some rolls, sure. But largely, this could really add up this could really change the balance of things one thing i like to think about too is if you have three warriors and a building in a clearing you could use partisans twice once for the first battle where they take out all three of your warriors and then once up for the undefended building as well Mm. so like whoa and you've already paid the price for the first time you did it too by discarding the cards you had that's crazy yeah it's just it's such a it's such a potent threat as well that's one of the things i like about partisans is it's always sitting there just saying like yeah, you want to come after me in foxes? Go right ahead. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome to. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I suffer from that own bias, even though I I remind us about it that you know one doesn't seem like a lot, but sometimes it is a lot. Uh, yeah, and and I also undervalue partisans kind of for that reason. But there was a there was a I want to say a Corvid game where I had it and no cards in my hand, and I was just like, I'm always gonna deal hits here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that because yeah, you had face down plots and the partisans, yes. and it was really annoying to attack you. Yeah. <laughs> it was just shedding warriors <laughs> left and right. And here's the thing, though: if you force the Eerie into a situation where they have to roll well in order to keep the decree alive, yeah, that's a good place to be because chances are it's not going to go well. Right. It's just root, <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to roll zero zero, and then you're dealing an extra hit for free. Like it's yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, last one I got is Swap Meet. Uh, Swap Meet, again, is the card where you can take a random card from another player and then give them a card from your hand. Could be the same one. Um, this can be useful when we're trying to limit the amount of bird cards that the Eerie has access to. You yeah, know? if you want to just cycle out some of those bird cards from their hand. Oh, it's so annoying to play against this as an Eerie player because you're kind of banking on you know, having some cards in your hand after a while that you can use in the future to like you know make your plan happen and then when that gets like taken away especially if you've been really careful to avoid sympathy or whatever it can be so annoying (laughs) 
I will say that, that bird card using this against the birds is really a move because most likely Erie has probably one of the smallest hands at the table. So you're not doing your, you're not really probably getting the best card for yourself. But if the Erie are that big of a problem, maybe that is the right move. But I think it's a little bit more situational than it might seem just because like you're looking at everyone else's hands and they have five cards. The Erie has two a lot of the time. So Hmm. Um, one card that it wasn't on here that I wanted to highlight as well is Propaganda Bureau, I think could be potentially very effective in those situations where the decree is highly stable and you just have to kind of pick away at the roosts. Mm-hmm. Propaganda Bureau is one of those ways to just lighten the defense of one roost. You know, if it's guarded with two birds and it's like, eh, maybe yes, maybe no. Now, you can, now it's guarded by one bird and it's like, yeah, probably I get that roost. Yeah. So uh, Propaganda Bureau can be useful in those types of situations to just... Uh, keep them on their on their back foot all right those are the kind of crafted improvements that that we had come up with now i want to talk about you might have a bird problem if <laughs> and the first thing is if the birds have no suited cards in recruit and build you might have a bird problem yeah, if they're landing on you in the morning when you're just trying to walk down your front steps, then you might have a bird problem. Um, yeah, if they if they just are rocking bird cards in the recruit and build slot of the decree, they are going for a no turmoil strategy. Mm-hmm. And you have to react sooner rather than later, as you pointed out earlier, Sam. Yeah, it's it and you guys might think like, well, they're probably probably not gonna have one on turn one, you know? They'll probably put a suited card into move. And maybe a bird card into build if they're one of those leaders, or maybe one into recruit or one into battle. So are they a problem turn one? And they kind of are. You might not be able to do a lot about it turn one, but that's the thing where like, I'm looking at you suspicious. Are you going no turmoil? Then by turn two, you can kind of tell what they're doing. Yeah. Um, And that's that's when you know. Turn one, you can't really assess a lot of things really for anybody that's you really have to see where the contraption is building towards right that's that's true yeah the 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 build order can be pretty adaptable for the birds right and their kind of strategy can i mean due to the nature of the faction becomes more specific over the course of the game um we we tend to think of them so rigidly like because they're locked into this decree of you know recruit move battle build that they still have a lot of flexibility within that and how they choose to initiate things that is true but largely if you see at any point a turn where they add one card to the decree and it's just a bird card they're going for a slow roll like stable no turmoil type play and it's going to be hard to turmoil them but it's you just have to keep chipping away. Yeah, th- I think that's a good point. To What are we looking for when they're being suspicious? Like, they added one card to the decree, and they have a card in their hand. What yeah, is that's... that other card? It's probably a bird card or some some craftable thing we don't want them to have um, or an ambush. Ambush. Right? Yeah. Those are probably what that other card is. You can make that assumption. I can tell you a lot. I can tell you a lot. Um, if, if the birds have crafted royal claim or if they've crafted brutal tactics, mm-hmm. and this is in the base deck, they've crafted either of those things. You got a bird problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 
especially Royal Claim, is like the card that was made for the birds. Look at the picture. Yeah, that's your, that, bird. that picture is your doom. Yeah, it it is like a, a four point card, four or five points, and the birds don't need the help getting to thirty. So that's just a whole turn they are ahead of you. Yeah, it is absolutely crazy good for the birds. You yeah, yeah. I'm just like red lights flashing, all of the alarm bells are ringing. <laughs> You unite the table immediately to destroy the birds when they craft royal claim. Uh, brutal tactics is a bit different for me. Brutal tactics is one of those cards where the birds are snowballing so hard that they just don't even care that they're giving you a point. Like you can have this point; it won't even matter in the long run because I'm smashing through your defenses. I'm getting the cardboard points. I'm getting the builds. If it's despot with brutal tactics, especially mm. this is. You know, five alarm fire. I mean, commander with brutal tactics is like nothing is precious. The birds can destroy anything. Yeah. Know? Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have five warriors in that clearing? Now you have zero. <laughs> <laughs> but you get a point. Uh, yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal tactics. Uh, yeah. So careful if they craft those improvements. Um, I would say the other one to maybe be concerned about is Better Burrow Bank or any card that allows them to improve their card economy mm, yeah. could potentially be quite worrisome, especially if it's early in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Charm good... Offensive can be worrisome with the birds because mm-hmm. they might convince somebody to be on their team for a while. Like, ugh, can yeah. you imagine? Yeah, especially like the other army faction. Then you're in trouble. <laughs> so evil. <laughs> Speaking of the other factions, if you're at a table and you're playing against the birds and the other two factions aren't interested in collaborating with you, you got a bird problem. Yeah. This is the number one thing where it's like, it's over. If you can't (laughs) convince the other two people that you got a bird problem, then you got a big bird problem (laughs) that you have to do. This happens all the time in my games of real where I'm just like, hey, everybody at the table, I just want just a friendly reminder that the eerie is getting out of control. <laughs> I'm always like tearing my hair out and just being like, you guys, do you, do you see what they just did? They just built their fifth roost or whatever. Yeah. I'm like freaking out. Um, I, I, I have seen this on a couple of different streams where people will uh, just like claim that the game is over like, well before it actually ends due to a particularly successful eerie play. Yeah, I've seen this guy, what's his name? Waterman121, have you guys seen this guy? He he, he declares that the game is over on turn one. <laughs> that is my move right now, yeah. I do find it very petty and funny to do that. Sounds like he opened Builder wisely. Oh, okay, no, Builder Jim, no. No? We don't, we don't I mean, that's, that's when I'm most confident. <laughs> The thing I like about Builder Jim is he always supplies his own snacks, but he doesn't share them. He just eats them whole. Yeah, yeah. I w- he's got to chew those. He might choke. <laughs> nah. I got stomach acid that it can dissolve all types of plastic. <laughs> I saw Builder Jim eat an entire avocado one time. Okay. The pit's the best so- part. <laughs> it's poisonous, Jim. What? What? <laughs> I'm not feeling so well, boys. Oh, no, Builder Jim. <laughs> no. Oh, you got to stick around, Builder Jim. You're our best character. I'm so sure I'll be here the whole season. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. 
<laughs> All right. Yeah, it, we got you got to get the table on board. I think that's the main point of this whole segment is you you have to recruit allies to help you deal with the birds because it is almost impossible to be a one man bird stopping force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think we should go into how to check these birds, right? What are we convincing these other players to do, mm-hmm. right? There are three big, t- four big types of checks I've named here for the birds, okay? And the first one is two parts, <laughs> and that is turmoil on recruit. We kind yes. of talked a little bit earlier about uh, when they run out of warriors in their supply, them turmoiling on recruit that way, and I don't want to harp on that too much because, again, it really has to do with the charismatic opening, uh, though that is a very common opening. Um, but I want to get into... Uh, when they have a suited card into recruit, and they have a root, they they need to recruit a, with a roost in that clearing. So the thing to do is to take out all of their fox roosts or rabbit roosts or mouse roosts, depending on where they're recruiting. This is really the game state that you want to create with the decree. You want to force the eerie player to commit to a suit in recruit. Uh. Because as soon as they do, then your job is very clear, right? You you find that suit, destroy all the roosts, and then that's basically it. Because recruit is the first step of the decree. If they don't have a roost in that suit, then they're just done. Right. They or if lose they can't place warriors in that clearing as well with a yeah. snare or something. Yeah, they, they lose a whole turn on top of turmoiling. And usually if you can get them to turmoil on recruit, your job is done. Right? The birds will be basically out of the race at that point. Yeah. They're losing one and a half turns. Yeah. Great. So, yeah, turmoiling and recruit is goal number one when it comes to checking the birds. That is the most preferred way to do it. You'll get the most bang for your buck. They will get knocked back the most. Uh, They'll spend the most time, like, in timeout before, like, being able to rejoin the, the forces at the table. Yeah. The tricky thing is, the Eerie player knows that. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to do anything they can to avoid turmoiling on recruit because it's so bad for them. So your opponent is intelligent and will place lots and lots of bird cards into recruit. Or they just will like deliberately under-recruit a little bit in order to keep that column of the decree purely in bird. Mm-hmm. Knowing that, you have to approach it slightly differently. Uh, There's two ways to force your opponent to add a suited card to the decree. One is, if they are close to out of warriors on the board, and they just need to beef up their forces, that's the point at which they're desperate enough to add a a suited card to recruit. The other is, if they're running out of options for cards in hand, and they need more warriors, then they make commit a suited card to the decree and recruit as well so if you can kind of like whittle down their card options and kind of take out some of those warriors on the board that's going to be the best bet for basically like shoving the player into a position where you can turmoil them yeah now a lot of times what they'll do is they'll add a suited card to recruit but they won't just have one of those clearings right this is how they keep themselves safe where they put a fox card in recruit and they have multiple fox roosts, like two or three clearings that they have a roost in that's fox. So turmoiling them on recruit is going to take destroying three roosts, which no one can do on their turn. 
But if you all work together, you might be able to take down two or three roosts in a round or over the course of two rounds. So this is why that teamwork thing can be a real deal breaker when it comes to dealing with the birds because they can put suited I put suited cards in recruit pretty often but if you you can just do it pretty smartly where it's like okay well if you guys want to all lose a turn to make me lose a turn then we're kind of square again yeah right yeah so that that's hard to implement but uh, it can solve the problem obviously turmoiling them on recruit though is the best case scenario because of them losing that turn 100% so what about turmoiling on build? Yes, not quite as juicy as turmoiling on recruit, but uh, it's easier to pull off. Uh, when you're turmoiling the birds on build, you have to cut off their ability to reach a new clearing with numbers to then battle and build there or whatever their decree says. Uh, this turmoil is more forgiving for the eerie, but still is probably enough to stop their like runaway win because... The Eerie are pretty good at racing, so anything you can do to hold them back is very key. And the thing about turmoiling on build is more experienced players will be able to avoid it, right, by not putting any suited cards into build or just kind of seeing what kind of gambits people are trying to deny them. Um, but they can also trigger it for themselves. Because this is the part of the decree where it's the most painless to turmoil on, this is where someone who... They might purposefully throw a suited card into build to turmoil that turn rather than having the potential of turmoiling on recruit the next turn. Yeah, we've seen this play before, and it's actually quite interesting. Uh, the Eerie player assesses their future with this current decree and decides that they want to switch leaders mm -hmm. on their terms, and so they'll turmoil themselves on, on build. Um, right. I mean, turmoiling them on build is the most favorable way for the eerie player mm -hmm. not necessarily for the table because they still get to battle they still get to rearrange their forces however they want um and it's also just a little tricky too like you have to as their opponent figure out what they want and then arrange your forces just to counter them which might leave some openings in your own position as well so like you have to really carefully assess like how to deny them this build i mean the most effective is just build buildings and defend them i feel like yeah yeah i think like this is like when we're talking about using an ambush or using armors or partisans or whatever this is what we're talking about is like changing the battle math with a surprise or mm -hmm. yeah it is difficult to kind of like foresee to deny that build but usually when it happens it comes at less of a loss to your own engine you know because it's just like something the birds couldn't do as opposed to like something like we all had to band together and take out two fox roosts or whatever it was, right? Yeah. But yeah, I agree, Kyle. It's not like it's not simple because it does take a lot of foresight and trying to set up the things, and sometimes it's probably not going to be all that possible. Well, also well. remember, like what's not possible for you might be possible for others, and this is where table talk gets important. So, like, yeah. I, 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 I think we are all trying to remember like what's available to us each turn is just one part of the buffet of options that we have for defeating one of four players at the table. Right. All right. Uh, my third way of checking the birds here is called nipping at their roosts. <laughs> uh, the goal here is to destroy one of their roosts every round. All right. 
This option is sometimes your only way forward when you're dealing with a no turmoil strat, okay? Nipping is especially effective when you start uh, doing this when they only have two roosts on the board. We talked about this, as that will limit their card draw and slow their action snowball at the same time by denying them exponential points. Uh, right? If they're not gaining additional points every turn because you keep taking out the roosts, and they're not getting that extra card draw, then they can't add two cards to the decree every turn. So the action snowball stops and the exponential point stops. Yeah, I hesitate to use the phrase flatten the curve, but literally that's what you're <laughs> doing to their points engine. Yeah. It's it's really, it's making it more linear than anything. You're kind of transforming their scoring mechanic into something more cats-like. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the eerie player will be feeling this very hard. If you can just commit to taking out one roost a turn, it is like you're just like a Sisyphus character you're like <laughs> yeah. trapped scoring two points a turn. It's just it's very sad. Uh, and this can be a really effective way. It's not foolproof. No, it's not foolproof because you need to keep the pressure on consistently. And it can be so tempting to just invest in your own engine for a full turn and just kind of ignore the problem. This is the same thing with the Vagabond. I mean, this is just a Prisoner's Dilemma type issue. Um, nipping at the Roost does fail when board co- uh, when board cooperation is low. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say, is this form of checking requires a l- the most from other players. I think, like, factions like the Moles, the Lord of Hundreds, and Otters, and maybe Vagabond are, like, the factions that could do this. Not every 100%. faction at the table is going to be able to do this, you know? And be aware that Eerie will know exactly what you're doing, and that player is most likely going to try and sow the seeds of dissent in your little, like, <laughs> alliance. Yeah, oh yeah. So just be be prepared for stuff like that, if you're going to go for this strategy. Yeah. The last type of checking the birds here is called kick them while they're down. <laughs> um, this is, the birds can be really resilient, all right? Especially after when a good double build opening is executed. But that just means that when the turmoil comes, when it happens, whether wh- whoever terms it's on, that everyone has homework now. All right, we all have to take out as many roosts as we can in that n- in that next round when they've turmoiled. So after the birds have gone into turmoil with lots of roosts on the board, that's when you got to knock them off. Make the birds player really wrestle with putting a card back into build, because this is what they're thinking. Okay, they get a bunch of roosts out on the board. Then they turmoil, and then they're like, great, now I'm going commander, right? Or or builder, maybe. Hey, builder Jim, you made a late game appearance. Oh, my God. I oh, no. I don't feel no. so well, boys. Oh, no. It looks like <laughs> builder Jim's not doing too good in the late game here. The doctor's at the door, but I can't open it. I don't have the strength. I'm going to oh, crawl God. over there now. Oh, all right. Well, we'll we'll call Wait, someone. Wait, were you we're done finally recording. talking about builder positively? Yeah, we said that it might be helpful to close out a game depending on your hand. Allow me to then say, uh, oh, oh. oh, it looks like he went to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's no builder Jim. There's a coyote behind you. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh no, horrific. the video feed cut off uh, at just an exciting moment. Yeah. So anyway, kick them while they're down is is definitely one of my favorite parts of checking the Eerie is that that like mad scramble yeah. to like limit their point scoring in the next turn. Frequently, if they do this thing where they'll add a bunch of cards to build and just like throw down a couple of cheap roosts, they tend to not be that well defended. Yes. Um. So it's a great time to just just knock them back. 
Right, because they're thinking, oh, great, I'll just coast on four or five roosts mm-hmm. for the rest of the mm-hmm. game. Like, I don't need to build them all. I'll get three or four points every turn just on the roosts existing and then focus my action economy on taking out the other players. So, if you could take out all those roosts, then they're only getting, like, one or two points or two or three points every turn, and that is going to slow them down because then they're going to be wondering, do I want to add another card to build or add a card to build to actually like start this whole process again, they probably do right. is the threshold to bring them down from four roosts that's kind of the big one because two points a turn is like negligible yeah 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 unless they're recruiting they're machines the extra or something cards, yeah 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 i think it's pretty good great all right so special teams i was going to talk about limiting their card draw or sort of like stealing cards from their hand in order to uh, force awkward decisions for the decree or perhaps just limit their ability to add cards to the decree to like one per turn. Mm -hmm. You know, if they have to add one suited card to the decree and that's all they can do, that is quite a sad turn for the birds. Yeah. And something even as simple as that can really set them back. Uh, So, that, that was originally what I was going to talk about with special teams, but I think we have to do something a little more exciting because <laughs> we kind of talked about limiting card draw already. So for special teams, I just want to quickly touch on the forever snare. Oh. Yes. The snare lock. This is a situation that can arise when the Corvids are in the game and they plop a snare down on the last roost right after the Eerie Turmoils. So in this type of scramble that we just described where you kick them while they're down, right after the Eerie's Turmoiled, uh, they have a, the choice of, you know, several leaders to go with. And if the, the kick and while they're down has been very successful and they're stuck on one roost with just a couple of warriors and there's a snare there, <laughs> then there's a problem because the snare doesn't allow you to place any pieces in that clearing. So obviously recruiting becomes impossible. So any leader that has recruit as a part of its starting viziers, namely the builder and the charismatic leader, they will automatically turmoil on recruit. So you can start them as your leader, but if there's a snare, you won't even get to the move or battle step. You'll just instantly turmoil and recruit and have to move on to the next leader. So that leaves two left. We have commander and we have uh, despot. The other thing that happens with a snare is that you can't move warriors out of that clearing. So sure, you don't recruit anybody with the despot, for example. So great, you make it past that step. But then it gets to the next part of the decree where you're moving, and you can't move anywhere. Yeah. Unless you got some cheeky birds somewhere else on the map. But even still, around. if it's like one or two birds, that's the time where you can turmoil someone on move is like, no, you can't move your main birds at your roost. And now these other two here, I'm just going to move three guys there, and you're done. That's it. This yeah, is humiliating. So it can result in a situation where you are just permanently cycling through leaders and losing points yeah. every turn so yeah like you said you choose despot right and then you turmoil on move and then if <laughs> let's say then your other options are what then you turmoil on recruit and then you turmoil on recruit and then you turmoil on move and then you have all the options to choose which one to turmoil again with it's horrible yeah because recruit and move must happen before battle you can get yeah. totally snare locked. I get very like like black mirror vibes from 
the snare lock. I don't know what it is, but there's just something so like existentially hopeless about you can't <laughs> yeah. escape getting snare locked. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of fantastic, uh, just how like precisely it counters everything that the birds are ca- capable of doing. Uh, but to be fair, it's extremely rare. I've only seen it's it happen. Very, one time. it's the yeah. utmost situational thing. Yeah, the, it's one out of. 10,000 games is going to have something like this happen. And birds that know about it are terrified of it, so they will keep an eye out for it. A hundred percent, yeah. Okay, but I just wanted to include that in special teams. That is a you know, an especially juicy way yeah. to check the birds. Yeah, if we're talking about versus the birds, that's the most versus any faction that can happen, and that definitely <laughs> deserves a part yeah, of Yeah, if you want to humiliate another person who's playing birds, this is a good way to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's great, yeah. In a game that is... That truly doesn't have a lot of hard counters. This is a hard counter. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, in conclusion, gang, the birds, unlike the cats, need to be dealt with directly. Sometimes by multiple people sacrificing their position just to cause a turmoil. Since they can snowball out of control, it is essential that the table sees the birds for the threat they are and deal with them with surgical precision. They are likely to start the race and have the actions and special abilities to keep others from challenging them. If you don't take your clear-cut opportunity to hit them when it hurts, you've already lost. Ooh. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah, nice, Sam. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, final thoughts are just that, like, depending on the opening, be smart about the way you go about checking the birds. I feel like so often I see players... Uh, Choose just the wrong approach to dealing with a charismatic leader, for example. And I hope that this guide has given you some concrete steps to take uh, for a no turmoil strategy, for a uh, for kind of corralling them into doing something rickety in the decree. Uh, yeah, I, I hope that this uh, this is a fairly comprehensive guide to taking those old birds down a peg. Yeah, it is the it is one of my factions that i get very frustrated when i can't beat them mm-hmm, i think mm-hmm. it's just like oh and then they're just gonna win like i yeah. just feel like i see it coming longer with the birds because they're on they're on a train track right and that track they've laid out in front of them and we all get to see where they're going and it's heading towards yeah. success and <laughs> you can't derail a train very easily like these like all of these things we mentioned are so situational so all the more reason yeah. to label them as like a orange red faction is their threat mm-hmm. is constant and is in any game going to be high statistically speaking. Yeah. And I like that we put some emphasis on uh table cooperation and just nipping at the edges, nipping mm-hmm. at the roosts because I do think that is a strategy that I don't see very consciously employed that frequently and it's so effective against a no turmoil strategy. Oh, when I play uh, I, against really good people, like people I'm intimidated to play against, like Garrick's crew or whatever, they're always when I play birds, they're just like they're they're nipping at my roosts, and I'm like, I, 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 I don't have an answer for it yet, you know. <laughs> All right, Sam. Anybody we got to thank for today? No, great. Thank me. I am your god now, Sam. Thank um, you. I appreciate this. <laughs> Yeah, I keep uh, forgetting to ask the community for help for the versus guides. That's fine. We don't need them. (laughs) (laughs) 
no thank you to everybody yeah. who's in the discord and who's on social media and who's in who are in all of the little root corners of the internet woodland we've appreciated the positive feedback and uh constructive criticism we've received about the podcast and uh we always look forward to more discussions so the most common place we do that is on our discord the good time society discord and the woodland war machine channel so come join us there if you haven't yet and uh get enlightened and tell sam why he's right and maybe why he's wrong yeah I, i'll take it all i'm i'm down for whatever <laughs> um i think you guys we got to pour one out for builder jim and do the only thing that he would have wanted us to do root 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 root